There was a period there where it was very sophisticated to discover me and to make the point that I was much better than anyone realized. And now it is very sophisticated to discover that I'm nowhere near as good as everyone said I was. Mystery writer Robert B. Parker. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. There have been many authors over the years who I met year after year each time they came out with a new book. One of my favorites, a guy I always looked forward to talking to, was this guy, Robert B. Parker. A gruff-sounding but actually very charming and likable guy. Robert B. Parker was best known for his series of books featuring the sardonic private eye named Spencer. There were 40 Spencer novels in all. ABC TV based the series Spencer for Hire on Robert B. Parker's books. The first time I met him was in 1989. So here now, from 1989, Robert B. Parker. Do you ever get tired of Spencer? No. Uh, you know, what I'd get tired of is poverty. And I get tired of his unemployment and obscurity and no money. No, I don't get tired of Spencer. It's partly because, of course, I consume him rather differently than uh, than readers do. Readers will consume him maybe in one large chunk or two or three small chunks over a course of a few days. And I'm with him in five-page discrete bits for three, four months, maybe for longer than that. And so I never really experienced Spencer as a whole entity. Uh, I experience them only as parts of a puzzle that put together, as it were. So it's quite a different experience. Uh, and in many ways, he's probably less real to me than he is to readers. I was talking with another author of a series of books recently, and she said that she'll sit down and start writing a story and then realize halfway through, I've already written this book. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? No. No. Uh, partly because I sort of think it through first. Uh, and... Uh, then because, uh, as I say, it is, uh, one is not in a, uh, you know, sort of, uh, haze of excitement when one writes. One is uh, plugging away, uh, a few typewriter keys at a time each day. Uh, I do five pages a day. And sometimes that takes me half an hour and sometimes it takes me six hours. Uh, I, I always need to have at least you know, I have to have unlimited time when I start. I have to know that I don't have anything else to do. So I usually start in the middle of the afternoon and say, well, you know, I can do this until midnight if I have to. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it is just, uh, you know, the laborious assembling of little component parts in some way. I don't mean to deglamorize it. It also requires imagination and skill. But it is uh, the the assemblage of a variety of uh, of little pieces of idea and image and uh, metaphor and language and word, uh, and uh, so that the idea that you sometimes get in the middle of a book and say, "Whoops, I've already done this," is foreign to me. I don't know how that happens to you. Yeah, yeah I wish you hadn't shattered that image we all had of the writer <laughs> gets up at noon, sits down leisurely at the typewriter, and as soon as he sits down, has this rush of of inspiration and writes 50, 60, 100 pages, and then sits down at 2 o'clock for lunch and has the rest of the day free. Well, that can happen, but it's very unlikely to happen every year for 20 years. Uh, if you can do this for a living, you're either going to write one huge book uh, or uh, you've got, you can't rely on inspiration uh, or you have to be able to call up inspiration whenever you need it. Uh, and uh, one of the, it seems to me, the crucial distinction between someone who can write novels and someone who cannot is not even skill with the language because we both know writers who have very little of that and who've done very well. Uh, but uh, you have to be able to think up a story. 
I tried for a while when I was a professor to teach fiction writing, not very successfully. Uh, and some of the kids would say after a few days, they'd come back to me on an assignment and say, Jack, I can't think up a story. And I'd say, then you should do something else. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't be a writer if you can't think up a story. You can't write fiction. It is the one, it's the sine qua non of fiction writing. Uh, and, uh, so that, uh, if, and you have to be able to do that, you know, I'm on a f- four book contract while there's three left after Playmates. Uh, which, as you know, is available at your local bookseller for seventeen ninety five, uh, with an adorable picture of me on the back. I, I figure that's what sells it, actually. Uh, and uh, you and you know, I've I've got three more books to go on contract, and uh, as soon as I stop running around the world talking about it, I'll start the next book. Uh, and uh, I can't sit there and say, "Well, let's see," you know. Wait for the rush, uh, because sometimes the rush doesn't come, and the, the mortgage payment does. You know, so uh, it is it is a job of work requiring certain specific skills. And in some ways, I'm lucky because I didn't decide to have those skills. And the books that I'm writing, I didn't decide to write them that way. That's the only way I could write them. If someone came around and said, "Parker, your career is going down the tubes. You have to change the way you write. Write different things in a different way." I'd be in trouble because I couldn't. So in some ways, it is a happenstance that I write these books in this way, and it is my good fortune that there are a lot of people who want to read them and pay me for them. But uh, it's not. It's almost just a throwing dice in a way. Gothic romances wouldn't work for you, I think. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you thought to yourself, hey, I think I could write, and I'll bet I could sell something? Well, I don't remember precisely the first time, but it was when I was very young. I was in grammar school or junior high school. I mean, I always wanted to do this. Uh, I always wanted to do this and be a Major League Baseball player. Uh, the odds were very heavily in favor of this after I saw my first curveball, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that I can remember. I can remember a guy named Bart Leach threw me a curveball when I was about 14 years old in a sandlot in Mattapoisett, Massachusetts, and I nearly dislocated my back trying to hit it. Uh, and I said, well, I think I'll be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and the decision kind of made itself. Yes, by a process of elimination. Now, I know a lot of young writers, they figure, when I, as they're just starting out, they figure, gee, if I could just get a couple of books It'll really sell well. Maybe start writing a series of books and then make a TV series about it. Boy, then I'll have mastered this art of writing. Do you feel like you've mastered the art of writing? Yes. (laughs) In truth, uh, I think I do this well. Uh, I think I know how to do it. I think even more crucially, I have the self-discipline to do it every day. Uh, And... uh, I have uh, done about everything I ever wanted to do. Uh, I just don't keep on doing it. I don't want to stop. Uh, but I came to it late, and I came to it having already done everything that I really ever wanted to do. Uh, I wanted most of all to marry Joan Hall and uh, be David and Daniel Parker's father. And I did that, and I still am their father and her husband. Uh, then I got to be a writer as well, and that was sort of frosting in the cake. I was... Uh, 40, almost 42 when the first novel appeared. Uh, I had family to raise and support. I couldn't waste time writing. And, uh, and I found, as I said earlier, I need long stretches of uninterrupted time. And, uh, I couldn't write while I was writing advertising copy and working as a tech writer and doing all that stuff. And then come home and be husband and father. And so I, I just didn't write novels until I, finally weaseled my way into a professorship at Northeastern University, and then I had long stretches of uninterrupted time, let me tell you. Then I wrote. How do you define a good story? 
well, I, there are a lot of sort of formal answers to it, none of which hold up. The real answer is like Potter Stewart said about pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh, and that's probably true. Uh, certainly good stories ought to be about people, not about things. Uh, and yet Tom Clancy's books sell uh, absolute tons, and they're about things, essentially. Uh, the people are about a quarter of an inch deep, and the things are fascinating. Uh, so, you know, that, and there are good stories. Uh, but if, if, if I were to give advice, I'd say try to make interesting people uh, engaged in things that matter to them uh, with the emotional connection uh, and all of that. But the real answer is, I don't know, show me when I'll tell you if it's good or not. <laughs> I mean, I've never met a successful writer yet who didn't start every story with a character as opposed to a setting or a concept yeah. or something like that. You have to start with the person and then build a story around what happens to that person. Yes, I think that's a, a fair saying. As they say, though, lots of very successful novelists write novels which don't seem to do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's I would try to do that. And in my case, in most of my novels, the characters are already there because they're a series of the same characters. Spencer and Hawk and Susan and Quirk and Belson are all likely to be in the book so that I don't have to think too much what characters I am. And then I, uh, I start to think, well, what setting can I put them into? What do I know enough about to write a novel about? How do you keep Spencer and Hawk and, and everybody from getting stereotyped how do you, from becoming predictable I, you know you don't want people to open up a brand new robert b parker book and say you know after they've read two pages they say hey, i know how this is going to come out yeah yeah i don't sometimes they do but uh <laughs> <laughs> nobody's perfect uh well i guess the answer to that is that uh, how do i prevent them from becoming stereotyped as i work hard at it uh, i concentrate uh, it is not easy. Uh, occasionally, uh, when I'm doing a signing or something, says so someone's boy, this must be really fun to write. And I say, try it sometime, you know. Uh, people, only people who don't write think it's really fun to write. Uh, I don't mean I'd rather do something else. I wouldn't. Uh, it's, I also lift weights and, uh, stuff. And it's, the, the analogy is apt. Uh, I have never looked forward to lifting one ounce of weights, but after I've done it, I'm glad I did. And if t someone told me I couldn't, I'd be very unhappy. Uh, so that uh, it's hard work. Uh, every writer loves distraction, uh, and I'm very pleased when the day of writing is done. But you concentrate. Uh, it doesn't rush out. It doesn't flow from the fingertips, uh, and particularly... Uh, in questions like that, how will I make them new and interesting? What I've done as best I can is to uh, let them grow. Uh, they're not the same as they were uh, 15 years ago, neither am I, uh, and uh, I'm heavier. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't, once you're, you're in... You're in kind of a, a box, aren't you? In other words, you can't suddenly reveal that Spencer's gay, or you can't. That's right. You, you can't kill him. That's right. And I can't suddenly uh, decide that he is uh, a coward, you know, having so clearly established it. He could be afraid, uh, but uh, we have pretty well established his uh, heroic mode. Or he can't. Uh, he can't say to Susan, "Not the hell with you. I'll see you." You know, uh, he's clearly committed to her, and we know it. Uh, and uh, so that, uh, but that's true. If you were writing history, uh, which is about what we laughingly refer to as real life, uh, or when you're living, uh, that is, we are on paths and we are committed to certain kinds of patterns of life, uh, and so that uh, unless I, uh, I don't, I do not plan to have Spencer die before I do. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, that would be an interesting trick to see you write his death after yours. Yeah, no, I, I think that <laughs> some people do that. Uh, I think that's sort of uh, cheating. That is, people will leave a book to be published after their death in which the hero dies. Uh, and uh, doing it otherwise would be a very interesting trick. <laughs> I'll let you know on that. We will definitely book you on the show for that. <laughs> I bet I could get on here, yeah. yeah we'll put you on the same day. Get on Geraldo, I bet, with that one. <laughs> You have a whole hour to yourself on Geraldo. Second prize is two hours to yourself on Geraldo. <laughs> now, you know, I'm not telling you anything new when I tell you that some of the critics don't like Playmates. They say uh, it's... They say they it's, don't? <laughs> they say it's just not up to Parker's standards. Uh, well, uh, several things about that. Uh, some of the critics have said Playmates is the best book I've written. The Times Review... Uh, the front page, I mean, they told me how to sit the front page time review last week, Times, New York Times, uh, said it was the best book I'd done perhaps ever, certainly in some years. Uh, and uh, some people probably say it isn't. I don't read reviews uh, unless they are real raves on the front page of something. That's my rule. I never read reviews unless they're real raves on the front page. Uh, but A, reviews say everything. I've never written a book in which everybody liked it or everybody didn't like it. Uh, B, if Playmates is the best book I've ever written, I don't know how to make the next one the best book I've ever written. Or if it's the worst book I've ever written, I don't know how to avoid making the next book equally bad. They all seem the same to me. Uh, and uh, the, one of the thrusts of the New York Times review, which was very favorable by a very major American uh, scholar, R.W.B. Lewis, uh, pointed out that uh, I had started out strong and I had a, a weak, period in which my books weren't up to snuff and then Playmates was a comeback. Uh, but uh, the previous two books seemed just as good or just as bad as Playmates to me. So it's, uh, I, I guess the answer is, I don't know. You know, I, I just try to do what I can. And uh, each time I do the best I can and everybody makes their own judgments. You know, a lot of literary types are very, um, they look down their nose at television. Mm. The fact that you've had a TV series based on your series of books, maybe they say, well, look, he just, he writes books that they turn into television shows. Oh, I'm sure. I think that's possible. Uh, I, I don't, I think they're probably right to look down their nose at television. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but after I've been to the bank, you know, on the way back from depositing the check, I'm scornful of it. Uh, I, I'm sure that, uh, one of the things that happens to any writer, uh, or one like me, at least, I'm sure it has happened to me, is there was a period there where it was very sophisticated to discover me and to make a point that I was much better than anyone realized. And now it is very sophisticated to discover that I'm nowhere near as good as everyone said I was. Uh, these things do go in cycles, and one, one can be cynical about them. Uh, but uh, they're part of life. <laughs> one goes on. Do you, do you like to tour? No. No, uh, who would? Uh, it's part of the deal, and this tour is relative. I've gotten to the point where I can dictate tours, so I do fewer and fewer things. Uh, you know, I did today. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, do Larry King live tonight, uh, uh, and uh, so that it's less and less painful. But I mean, I've had book tours where I was in New, uh, Chicago, Seattle, and Minneapolis on the same day. You know, I called the publisher and said, "Seattle and Minneapolis are not the twin cities." <laughs> you know? Robert B. Parker died in 2010. He was 77. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, my 2014 interview with actress Janine Turner. Her very frank autobiography. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.